Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. You have seen Mo Rocca on CBS Sunday Morning. Mo Rocca is many things, but most important for our purposes He's the author of a brand new book. It's called Mobituaries, Great Lives Worth Reliving. This is Mo Rocca. Mo, thanks for being here. Michael, very happy to be here. Good morning. Have you ever heard, maybe even visited, the Mutter Museum of Philadelphia? I have been there. I went there to see um, Chang and Ang, the Siamese twins, their conjoined liver, and to see Grover Cleveland's jaw. (laughs) I was going to say, if you haven't, you must, because I read, I I never fully appreciated Chang and Eng until I read what you had uh, published in Mobituaries, but I remember taking the kids to see the conjoined liver. It's wild. It is wild. And, you know, do do you remember, uh, I I bet you and I are around the same age as kids, there was, um, it it was a Guinness book. It wasn't world records, but it it was an offshoot. And it had that picture, that famous photograph of Chang and Ang as, as grown-ups, these two brothers, and they far outlived the, uh, what they were expected to. And, uh, 
and in their suits with their they had to you know the only way they could really walk around is with one arm over each other's back almost like two buddies coming home from a night out it was uh Pretty, pretty fascinating, right? I remember that, and I also remember, it just puts in my head, you just put in my head, Ricky Jay wrote a great, great book, he's gone now, uh, something like Flying Pigs and Fireproof Women. Your, your book, in a very favorable way, reminds me of that, because it's, 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 it's subject matter that can be depressing, but it's a fun read. Well, I, I appreciate that. I wanted, I wanted to write about people... That I'm interested in, that, you know, that people I would have wanted to meet. Mo, I'm a good audience for your book because I routinely read obituaries. I constantly say to my radio audience, we learn so much, those of us who read obituaries, especially about people that you've never heard of. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's the most purely narrative form, I think, of newspaper writing. And I think a good obituary is kind of like the, the trailer, the preview of a Oscar-winning biopic, it feels that way, you know, which is usually better than the actual whole movie, like the highs, the lows, and uh, and you know the sweep of someone's life. And a good one is about someone's life, not really their death. And uh, um, you know, people like Chang and Eng led extraordinary lives. I'm interested in people like that also who were once wildly famous and then fell off the map. I mean, Chang and Eng were were two of America's first entertainers. I mean, there were household names, there were metaphors during the Civil War. Mark Twain would talk about how the you know the Union was inseparable, just like these these two brothers. Although it's worth pointing out, it would have been basically outpatient surgery these days. I mean, right. they weren't, their attachment was very thin. Um, but yeah, the history is chock full of those. I mean, um, well, know, I'll give like, you I'll uh, give you another one. My, my wife's first name is Lavinia. L-A-V-I-N-I-A. The only other Lavinia I've ever heard of was, I think, on Downton Abbey, and I, I think they, they knocked her off. But you tell, you tell the story of tiny Lavinia Warren. Who is she? Yeah, Lavinia Warren, um, she was born in 1842, and she, she was also one of the most famous entertainers in the 19th century. Um, and P.T. Barnum marketed her. She was tiny. She was 32 inches tall. It was due to a pituitary disorder. And, uh, and after the success of General Tom Thumb, um, P.T. Barnum promoted her as well. Uh, and she eventually was married to another little person, Commodore George Nutt, and they got married in the White House. Uh, excuse me, they weren't married in the White House, but they were hosted by Abraham Lincoln in the White House. They were that famous. Um, um, it was a huge deal. The New York Times wrote um, the mother of all vows columns for their wedding because people were so fascinated um, by these two tiny people. A couple of years ago, actually by now a decade ago when our kids were younger, we stayed at this spectacular resort in West Virginia that, that shall remain nameless, but my audience will figure it out. And we decided we got to get out of this place and, and, and give the kids you know, a, a different look at the surrounding environments, which is how we ended up at the West Virginia State Fair. And, Mo, I must say, I paid admission for the kids to see what was then marketed as the world's tiniest woman. And it was such a sad situation because we walked into a trailer and there was there was this this miniature woman sitting on miniature furniture. 
I mean, this. Well, I mean, this, what are you going to say to that? The 19th century. I know this, that wasn't the nineteenth no, century. No. Um, but yeah, things have changed rapidly. <laughs> I mean, but it is interesting when you when you look back and, and, and you read about people like that, or, or Captain Martin Van Buren Bates, who was seven feet tall and seven and a half inches, um, who also married who married a seven foot eleven inch woman, Anna Swan. Um, that um, you know, these people were 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 major attractions and entertainers, and it, and they absolutely were exploited. Um, but it was different. It wasn't. It wasn't in, of the CD variety. May I thank you as as one who is constantly en route from Philadelphia to New York City for explaining the rest stop namesakes on the New Jersey Turnpike. I think it's Molly Pitcher that is in sync with my prostate. Right. It's, that it, it, everybody has one, right? It, it, it depends on your age, which one you have to get off at. Um, yeah, Mo- Molly Pitcher is often confused for Molly Hatchet. Um, <laughs> for me, yes, yes, <laughs> that's a common one. No, the New Jersey tourists. I wanted to uh, write a chapter on those rest stops um, and let people know who those people are. Um, John Fenwick, who started the first Quaker colony in America, is oftentimes confused for James Fenimore Cooper. I don't think that that was a good idea to name two service areas after those two gentlemen. You know, because um, you could easily, if you're, you know, if I don't know, if you're in uh, having some Tinder hookup or something, and say, meet me at you know John Fenwick. You know, you, the other person might end up at James Fenimore Cooper. It's a bad thing. So I suggest <laughs> in the book that they retire John Fenwick and replace him with Meryl Streep, who's from New Jersey. I think she deserves a service station. She deserves a rest stop. Uh, and uh, yeah, and there's Clara Barton. Um, Walt Whitman. No, it's a, it's a, New Jersey is an amazing state. I just have to point out, um, um, it has New Jersey has more scientists and engineers per square mile than any other state in the union. It also has more diners than any state in America as an absolute number, not per capita. So it's a remarkable place. I did not know that disco lived so long. You you credit disco for existing from 1970 to 1979. If you said to me, how long did we have disco? I would probably have said three years max. I would have been incorrect. Right. No, it, it lasted and it was, I mean, it was kind of extraordinary, the rise of disco. And everybody blames what happened at Comiskey Park, uh, disco right. demolition yep. right, um, for the demise of disco. Um, I say it was that, but that the Ethel Merman disco album, which some people may remember, was the second gunman in this assassination <laughs> of this art form. Um, no, disco really destroyed itself. I mean, th- there were haters, and some of that hate was was real and is troublesome um, in retrospect, but uh, but also it just it, it, it corrupted itself. Um, but yeah, 1979, so shortly after its peak was Saturday Night Fever, then it went away, and record labels, be- after Disco Demolition Night at Comiskey Park, um, promoters and producers became really afraid, and the word toxic, uh, the word disco became toxic, and they began rebranding it as dance music, but it remained disco. Why does Sammy Davis Jr. get such attention from you? There's so many you could have similarly feted, but you gave him the red carpet. Well, Sammy Davis Jr., I think, is the greatest entertainer of the 20th century on the male side. I think Judy Garland on the female side. And I, um, I think, for a few reasons, I think Sammy Davis Jr. Re- represents also a kind of entertainment that doesn't really exist anymore, at least not in the mainstream, um, which is somebody who... Though witty and sly and many other things, 
was completely unironic in his desire to please an audience. There's no distancing. There's no raised eyebrow. There's nothing arch, um, which I think a lot of entertainers do to protect themselves. He is, was completely open-hearted in his desire to sing, to dance, to do impressions, to um, um, his six-shooter routine. Um, and what's also remarkable is, other than being a quintuple threat, in every one of those disciplines, I think he was better than anyone else. Now, obviously, he wasn't a greater singer technically than, say, Bing Crosby or Sinatra, but there's a light that emanates from him. And when you, you know, I, I urge your listeners to go to YouTube and look at clips of him. He can be dancing next to some of the great hoofers. There's a routine he did at the Apollo Theater in, in Harlem. And you can't take your eyes off of him. He's so good, and there's this desire to connect with an audience. And he told Dionne Warwick, who I interviewed for this, he said, I want to die on stage. And she was really spooked by that, but he really meant it. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know where you see that. And there's a reason there hasn't been a Sammy Davis biopic. It's not just the estate. It is that it's very difficult to find somebody who can capture that hmm. really hard. Interesting. I, you know, it's funny. You, you referenced Billy Crystal. If you mentioned Sammy Davis Jr., I should be embarrassed to say this. I, I, I just think of Billy Crystal's impersonation. That's what's in my head. Well, right. I think a lot of people do have that. And the, uh, what, the other interesting thing about Sammy Davis Jr. is if I told you, oh, he did um, a cover of the theme song for the TV show Mod, you're going to sort of roll your eyes back. And, and that's understandable. Then you go and listen to it and you go, how can he take something that's so conceptually cheesy and actually make it really good? Um, so it's, it's, it's hard to, you can, you know, I think Billy Crystal was always affectionate when he made fun of Sammy Davis Jr., um, but I'm sure Billy Crystal would be the first to say that the guy was a genius. This is Mo Rocca. The book is Mobituaries. Thanks for being so gracious with your time. Just one or two more, if I may. Please. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. 
Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS. Sirius XM Channel 124 and on the SXM app. This is Mo Rocca. The book is Mobituaries. Thanks for being so gracious with your time. Just one or two more, if I may. Please. You yeah. re- you report that Lawrence Welk died in 1992. Are you sure? Uh, yes. I, okay. I ask because, honest to God, I see him on television still, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not convinced. Well, the thing about Lawrence Welk is, and I talked to Fred Armisen for this, who, who uh, you know, impersonated him on Saturday Night Live. And we both had similar experiences, which is growing up in households where Lawrence Welk was on. No one was watching Lawrence Welk um, that actively. Like my grandmother liked having Lawrence Welk on while she was cooking because Lawrence Welk was pleasant. And Fred had the same experience with his family. And that's what Lawrence Welk aimed to do. He, he would always talk about very nice people and, 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 and having a pleasant time. That was his aim, and he did it better than anyone else. And what I, what I find, he, he was one of the victims of the rural purge, which was the rural purge in the early 1970s. It was CBS who got rid of all the country-themed programming, like the Beverly Hillbillies, Petticoat Junction, and Green Acres. It, the rural purge spread, if you will, over to ABC, where ABC canned Lawrence Welk, even though he was still doing well in the ratings. Lawrence Welk was well into his 50s at this point and knew who he was in his bones to such a degree, to such an admirable, enviable degree, that he took his show and he put it into syndication and it lasted, it became even more popular. Um, and he ended up at the end of his career, I think being after Bob Hope, the second richest person in, in entertainment, which wasn't the goal, and that's not why I admire him. But I admire somebody who knows who they are in such a way, in that, in that way that Lawrence Welk did, and only cared about his connection, not to network executives, 
um, but to his audience. He knew who those people were. Um, and uh, it's, it was an extraordinary achievement. It's a kind of, of quality that I think young people like to think they have, like, I'm going to go it alone. I know who I am. I have principles. But this guy really did. This polka-playing king, this self-described square was hipper than most people I can think of. He, I put him in a category with Fred Rogers. I, I, good. I, I had not thought of that, and I'll, I'll buy that. Yeah. Hey, uh, Mo. So there's a died on the same day discussion, and I'm I'm I looking uh, page two seventy two, I guess, of the book, and I note that the font size for Farrah Fawcett, who died on the same day as Michael Jackson, is much larger than the font for Michael Jackson. Well, so Michael Jackson, you know, when Michael Jackson died, that was a story. I remember talking to a friend of mine at the New York Times who said it's going to get huge coverage, not only because he was wildly famous, but because it's a story about pop culture. It's a story about fashion. It's a story about race. It's a story about business. It's a story about the law (laughs) because of the allegations that had already been made against him. Um, Farrah Fawcett died earlier that day, and she was quickly pushed out. You know, her news cycle ended very quickly. Then 10 years since, you know, Michael Jackson has become more problematic, and Farrah got more attention. I wanted to give her attention because I believe that if you take a pop culture figure like Farrah Fawcett, there's a reason that people remain attached to her long after her heyday, and people remember her even today. I think the audience can sniff out a phony, can sense who the person is over time. And people just liked Farrah Fawcett. She seemed like just just a, a nice person. I mean, obviously, other than all of her other attributes, she seemed like somebody that if you went to high school with, she was a knockout, but she didn't preen. She right. probably didn't even really know it. She just seemed like the type of, of girl. I know I'm getting into weird fan fiction here. No, no, no. Probably, hey, come on. Who, who among us didn't own the poster? Well, exactly, and for different reasons, but sure. So, like, and, and, and um, yeah, and, and, you know, that poster, it makes sense that I think she shot that poster in under an, an hour. The guy came to her, to her house, um, and he took a, a blanket from his back seat, and she said, sure, I'll use this as a backdrop. And, uh, and then she wanted to get the shoot done with so she could go play tennis. She, she seemed like that kind of person, very likable, not vain, and at the end of her life, you know, the kind of cancer that she was suffering from was sort of verboten. People didn't talk about it. I talked to her friend Sherry Lansing, who used to model with her and then went on to become the first woman to run a major movie studio. And Sherry said, you know, Farrah Fawcett, like a lot of stars, could have hid from the public, but instead she shaved her head, um, you know, on camera when, when she started losing her hair. And she brought awareness um, to anal cancer, which people didn't want to talk about. It still makes people flinch. Um, and that was a public service, and it was in line with, with a, a thoroughly decent person. Final subject. I want to talk about Jack Rocca. And here's the thing. Yep. Here's the thing. He, he took up trumpet at age 50. I loved the tribute you penned to your father, which apparently you finished this past Father's Day. I lost my dad a year ago last month. And what your book brought to mind, among many other issues, is this. You know, when you find yourself in that crunch of losing a loved one, it's very hard to unscramble your thoughts and competently write an obituary. I don't mean for famous people. I mean for a loved one of all of ours. Have you thought about whether they should be written in advance? 
If uh, you mean obits in general, obits yep. for loved ones. Yes. Yes. Well, I'll tell you, I, I, you're absolutely right. It's hard to do at the moment and and in the immediate aftermath. And you know, I lost my father 15 years ago, so I was able to write this. You know, 14 plus years afterwards, and the moments that captured my father for me by then had really crystallized in a way they 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 couldn't have right after he died. Um, I I do think the idea of, of of interviewing a parent, a loved one, obviously it would have to be before they pass away, is a good idea. I still have my mother with me. She lives very close to me, and I'm definitely more cognizant of that to spend more time hearing stories, even recording them, um, and uh, certainly writing them down, taking notes, uh, yeah, to do it beforehand. I mean, newspaper editors do advance obits, so I hadn't thought about it before, Michael, but I think it's a very good idea for people to essentially do advance obits for the loved ones in their lives. Yeah, I, I, I have come I have come to that. I, I'm proud of the obituary I wrote under uh, a, a, an onerous emotional deadline for my dad, but I've come to the same conclusion. I, and I and I advocate that for for my radio audience. And, you know, that's interesting. I wonder if and I'm sure you you, you wrote a beautiful one for your father. And I wonder how it will change if you write it again in 10 years and in 20 years, oh, no it will doubt. probably change, right? No, absolutely. No. Absolutely. Yeah. I, but I, I really, I, you know, he took up trumpet at age 50. I loved it. I thought it was great. Hey, Mo, wow. I don't want to, I don't want to over, uh, you know, overstay my welcome. I'm thrilled to have you in the program. The book is terrific. I hope you can tell from my tone that I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think you have a winner on your hands. Thank you very much, Michael. I love talking to you. This has been this has been a blast. I hope we do so again soon. The book is called Mobituaries, Great Lives Worth Reliving. Oh, you know what I forgot to tell him? Sugar. You know what I forgot to tell him, TC? I just am <clears throat> loving, loving that discussion. What? I forgot to tell him how much a fan I am uh, of the final New York Times magazine that comes out at the end of the year. Under, I think the headline "Lives Well Led" oh, yes. of unique obituaries, you'll get a kick out of this. The one that I always use as an example. This microphone is still too stiff. Look, I can't oh, move it around. Don't worry, because now we got WD forty here in studio. <sighs> it took away the the squeaking, but it's I need it. I need it lubricated. Oh, oh. So the the obituary that I think about is the one uh, of the Harvard clock setter you went to harvard i think you might know of what i'm speaking if not just just put in your in your search engine harvard you know clock setter and new york time apparently harvard has on campus uh, charles ditness clock keeper dies at 91 by the way when was that now let me guess let me guess i would say it was 12 years ago 2002 2002. Okay. Good job. Not so well. Not so bad. So just just give us a taste of that. It's funny that you so you found it right away. Charles Ditmas, the honorary keeper of clocks at Harvard University, who believed that each antique clock has a personality as distinct as the one he so assiduously cultivated for himself, with his jet black dyed hair, Edwardian sartorial style, and cherished black bag of ancient tools, died on December 28th in Boston. He was 91. Although for years he had claimed to be 110, an odd turn for a man obsessed with the precise measure of time. 
<laughs> Since he was appointed in the mid-1940s, right. his mission was to take care of the 70 or so antique clocks on an honorarium, then bill the university for his service clock by clock. He sometimes worked without pay, said Sandra Gridley, who, as curator of the university's portrait collection, frequently worked with him. For the most part, he looked after the clocks because he loved them. Come on, isn't that people are going to think this is shtick? Like I gave this to you in advance. No, you just found this and it just popped into my head, and, and it stands incredible. out. That's incredible. It stands out for all the right reasons. A great story. You have always, I, as soon as that book came across our desk, right. I thought he's going to oh, love yeah. this. You know, I don't even know what it, what's in it. Right. I don't know yet. I love Moraka one and two. Right. By the way, also went to Harvard. Um, Mo Rocket did. Yes. Um, I'm just just putting it out there. We and, Harvard um, people and, and, um, stick together. You know what? No. Then I, all the more reason I should have said to Mo. Right? Did you did you get his uh, email? I have his contact information. Does that mean you're working through intermediaries? No, that means I have his cell phone. Oh, you do? Even better. Okay. Well, you I can just, text him. I, I'm going to text him and just tell him, I forgot to bring this up in the interview. This, this is, for me, the quintessential obit. One more interesting piece about Mo Rocca is that he was the head of the Hasty Pudding Theatricals. You know, oh, the really? parade that so you see So he's a funny guy. Year. Yeah. So he's, he's a really, funny man. He's an, he's an actor. Well, he used to be on The Daily Show, right? He's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. That was interesting, wasn't it? Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the Sirius XM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.